world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Have you ever noticed that you feel happy around happy people, sad around depressed people, or uneasy around anxious people? Research shows that if you spend enough time with people, their emotions will actually rub off on you. It's called emotional contagion. And this week, Diane shows how it affects caregivers and their patients. are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. So many of the emails I've been getting have to do with how stressed and how tired and how depressed you are as, you know, a son or a daughter caring for your mom or dad. You know, and you're saying in the emails that mom or dad maybe isn't sleeping or they fell again, or they have another UTI and you're back and forth to the emergency room, or you're, you know, you're working and then you're running to their house and you're doing things for them and then you have to get home and do things and then your husband, you know, is getting upset because you're never home and he sees you're stressed and, or your mom and dad doesn't appreciate what you're doing. You get no help from your brothers or sisters, you know, and, and, some some of you say, I just want to vent, you know, and, and others are saying, is it mean, you know, or, or is this terrible? Am I a terrible person? Because I think, well, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have moved my parent in with me or I shouldn't have moved in with my parent. And so there's such a, a common, you know, feeling. These These are common things that so many of you are experiencing. And a lot of the calls I get in my practice actually, you know, from sons and daughters are voicing the same concerns. So first of all, it's you're not alone and, and you're not a bad person, believe me. And the first thing I tell everyone is, you know, especially when I'm, I'm talking to, you know, a, a, a son or daughter or I go to a home, um, I I tell them that I'm not only looking at your mom or your dad, but I'm looking at you as a caregiver as well. And, you know, when I teach classes, um, I always say, you know, we as healthcare professionals, we have to look at the whole family, not just the patient. You know, and I know over and over again, you've heard people say, you read about it, you go to support groups, whatever, that you have to take care of yourself. And if you haven't heard that, well, then you have to know that you do. You have to take care of yourself. And we've gone through all the different ways that <clears throat> you can do that. But, you know, I wanted to touch on another point in how important it is to care for yourself. Um, because, Obviously, caring for mom and dad with a chronic illness or a terminal illness, it puts you under a tremendous amount of stress. Interesting, caregivers who are married and care for a parent 
with a diagnosis like Alzheimer's disease are at a risk for higher levels of depression. And, you know, uh, any of the dementias, Alzheimer's, it's a family disease. It's not just affecting, you know, mom or dad. So you're a child caring for your parent. It's very stressful. It's very challenging. And it's a very intimate relationship. So when I look at you, you know, as a son or daughter, you know, the there's some anxiety, sadness, and worry, and those are expected. But we don't want those feelings to snowball into severe depression or severe anxiety. In the United States, there are more than 34 million people caring for a terminally ill loved one. A quarter of those caregivers are severely depressed. A third of them have severe anxiety. What's another interesting point in research is that people with dementia may actually die sooner if their family caregiver is experiencing mental stress. So researchers have found that these dementia patients being cared for by a family member with depression, anxiety, or other symptoms of mental illness, they typically die about 14 months sooner than those being cared for by caregivers in good mental health. So what's, what's that saying? Well, obviously, this intertwining of lives, you know, you're a child, you as the child, your parents, you're both influencing the mental and physical state of each other. That everyday stress takes its toll on both of you. So that depression and anxiety, you can reduce the quality of care you're providing without even realizing it. You can weaken the patient's immune system by mom, you know, feeling that bond is weakening or she's sensing that stress or that tension. You can actually transmit negative emotions directly to the patient. There's a phenomenon called emotion contagion, where you have the ability to influence the emotions and behaviors of another person, whether directly or indirectly. So you're sharing your emotions with someone else, verbally or non-verbally, <clears throat> by verbal or physical expression. And the science of that emotional contagion shows that negative emotions are perceived stronger and quicker than positive ones. Of course, I mean, that's always seems to be the way the negative emotions are picked up upon. So you now know why if your boss is in a bad mood, suddenly, you know, the whole office is in a bad mood. Or if your spouse is in a bad mood and you're there and you're, you know, with him or her, and all of a sudden so are you because you can affect the mood of someone else without even realizing it. So that's, you know, another other reasons why we say to you, obviously, you know, your physical and emotional well-being, but you really have to take care of yourself as well as a caregiver. <clears throat> now, uh, I got this call this week from uh, a daughter who moved in with her mom about three years ago, and her mom has Alzheimer's. And for the past three years, she's been taking care of her, and, you know, she's progressed. Her mom was still walking. 
but she say to me, you know, she's unsteady and she kind of walks on a tilt and her mom doesn't communicate, but she said, I have to provide all the care, bathing, dressing, you know, she's in diapers, feeding. Um, and she said, I said to her, well, do you have any brothers and sisters? And she said, well, both of them are, I have a brother and a sister. Neither one is in the area. And she said, you know, my brother really does not come and visit. And he doesn't really, he'll offer monetary support. She said, my sister comes maybe once a year. You know, she has a job. She has uh, her own family. And she'll tell me, well, whatever you think. You know, she said she won't give me any input. She just says whatever I think. And I said, well, do you find that you're telling your brother and sister what reality is? And she said, probably not. I think I probably sugarcoat it. And a lot of times I'll say, oh, everything's fine, you know, because I don't want them to think that I can't do it or that, uh, you know, they have to come out and rescue me because they're not coming out to help me. And they, I want them to want to do that. But she told me that before, you know, before her mom went into the hospital, um, she was taking three Xanax a day. So there is, you know, definitely some stress on this poor person. So she told me that her mom was acting funny. You know, her mom was sleeping more. She was not walking as well as she was. She was grumpier. And then she started to fall. And she said, and, you know, I realized, oh, I got to take her to the doctor. I have to call the doctor, take her to the doctor. She said, but before I could do that, she did fall. And she went to the hospital. Fortunately, nothing was broken, but she had a urinary tract infection. Oh, that's, you know, we always say that. That's a lot of times the culprit. And the symptoms are masked, but they're, you can kind of, you know, people sleep a lot more. They're not acting right. They're, they're not maybe walking right. They're falling. So those are all triggers that you want to look for. She said, and she felt guilty because she said, oh, I should have realized it because she's had urinary tract infections before. But, you know, you're tired, you're stressed. So she said, of course, she went to the hospital and now she's in rehab. And she's been in this same rehab. And she said, I go to visit her in the rehab because I like to be there to feed her. Because, you know, she's, I like to try to get her out of bed to walk her and I like to try to feed her because otherwise she's not going to eat and she's going to fight the people, etc. So she said, you know, I went the other day and they accused me of abusing my mom. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She said, well, I was feeding her. And she said, my mom will, you know, look all over. And she said, I, 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 I kind of tapped her, you know, on her shoulder to try to distract her and get her back to looking at me to feed her. She said, and a nurse reported me that I was abusing her, that I hit her. So she, you know, she said, I had to go into the office and I had to talk to the director of nursing. I had to talk to the, the nurse was there and I had to meet with the administrator. She said, fortunately, they know me and they know my mom. She's been there before. You know, she doesn't come in abused and they know, I, you know, they realize, the nurse realized I wasn't doing that. But, you know, she said, but I guess I'm so stressed. And I said, well, yes, you really are. But, you know, they're not walking her. They're not feeding her. And I said, well, you know, her being in a rehab She's not going to get the same care that she gets, she would get at home. So she said, well, I want to bring her home, but what if it snows? What if, you know, I said, well, okay, well, you know, first let's see. I said, this is, you know, what we need to do. Well, I don't know what to do. I have a meeting with, you know, the social workers and everybody next week. I said, okay, fine, then I'm going to go with you to the meeting. I said, but, you know, whatever they tell us, you're going to hear and we're going to think of things. Well, I'd like to bring her home with help. And I said, okay, you know, I'm sure we could do that. <clears throat> well, 
but I don't know. But I think I could do everything. But maybe I just need this. I said, well, let's see. You're not going to know what you need. But what if it snows and the help can't get there? You know, she was kind of, I said, well, there's all kinds of help that you can get. You can get hourly help. You can get a live-in. A live-in is there all the time, so you don't have to worry about the weather. Oh, but we have a spare room, but there's too much stuff in it, and I can't clear that out right now. I said, okay, well then, you know, maybe that's not going to work for you. I said, you know, sometimes you can have help during the day. You can have different hours. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if it's not what I need? Well, nothing's written in stone. You have to sometimes try things. Sometimes it's perfect, and it can be set up, and it works. Sometimes maybe you have to, you know, you have to adjust things, and that's, that's okay, you know, that's fine. Well, what if it snows and no one can get there? And I said, well, if that happens, you know, a lot of times where people don't want to live in, a lot of times what I suggest the night before, you know, you hear usually that it's going to snow. Um, sometimes the weather's right. Sometimes it isn't, but okay, you take precaution. I said, sometimes, you know, let's put a night shift in there. Let's put someone in there who can stay. And then you have the help in the morning because if someone can't get there because of the weather, then that person can't leave either. So there's all kinds of ways, you know, we can do this. Well, I don't know what to do. Maybe I should keep her there until March. Maybe I should, you know, and I can, I said to her, let's wait let's see what the meeting shows. You know, you're going to meet with the social worker. You're going to meet with, we're going to meet with the, the physical therapist, with the, the, the uh, discharge planner. You know, let's see what they're telling us and let's see how mom is doing and what she might need. I'm going to need a wheelchair, but I can't, you know, I said, fine. You know, all these things will be, will be settled at that time. And, you know, I, I said to her, do you want to, what are you thinking? Do you, before this meeting, do you want to bring her home or are you, you know, do you think you want a, her to stay there? Do you think she, she's good there or she's comfortable there or you're comfortable with her being there? You know, and I could, you can kind of sense she's tired and she needs help. And when we come back from the break, I'll give you the last bit of advice that I gave her. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000 pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger, 
Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Relax, Max. Your nerves are just like jumping jacks, Max. Your heart is thumping with a crazy sound. Here it comes. So what was my last piece of advice I gave to this particular client? I told her, let's go, you know, let's go to the meeting and let's see what everyone says. And then there's no emergency to decide um, because in this particular instance, the daughter is paying for the rehab, uh, or mom is, they're paying for the rehab every day. So she said, you know, I may keep her there till March, depending on the weather. So I said to her, let's just see, and then we're going to come home, and we're going to think about it, and we're going to see, because if you bring her home, we want to make sure you have the right care in place, and that um, obviously we can tweak it, the hours or, or whatever we have to do, but uh, we want to make sure that you're comfortable and that because you are stressed, you know, you're depressed, you're, you're taking three Xanax and, and you're totally stressed. So we want to make sure it's the right decision because I am sensing that you're, you're relieved, you know, that she's there now, but yet, you know, I hear that, you feel guilty. She feels guilty. I got to bring her home. But she kind of is relieved. And those are the emotions that she's, you know, that are tearing her apart. I, I can hear it, you know, I, I, you know, she has to be there. Well, I, I couldn't, I can't take care of her. But what if no one can come, you know, so there's so many things. So I said to her, you know, we can't, we have to just take it and decide what we want to do. Obviously, if we bring her home, and it doesn't work, or you think it's not working, she can go back. But we don't want to tr do that. We don't want to do that to a patient with Alzheimer's, you know, if at all possible, we want to make try to make the right decision and get everything in place and make sure that it works. And it's good for the mother and it's good for the daughter. So that what I've what I've said to you is, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself. And we, we give you, um, you know, so many ways to do that. And you really have to, you, you can't think, oh, I, I can just keep doing this. I don't need anybody else's help. I can just keep doing this the way I'm doing it. No, you can't because it's, it's taking a toll on you and it's taking a toll on your parent. And you don't, we don't even realize that. So now speaking of moms, does mom have a preferred child in mind to care for her? Most moms have a preference for which child they turn to in a crisis, who they confide in, or who they prefer as their caregiver. When elderly moms receive care from the adult child who is not their first choice, they reported more depressive symptoms like sadness, loneliness, not sleeping. Moms appreciate what this 
non-preferred child is doing for them, that they're caring for them, and they acknowledge that. But they're stressed because it's not the child who they want to care for them. How come? Why are moms feeling that way? Well, they feel that the non-preferred child doesn't share their values or have the emotional characteristics that they feel are necessary to care for them. It's interesting. Mom's depressive symptoms are higher when she gets care from the non-preferred child, but her symptoms, her depressive symptoms are not higher if she gets care from no child at all. So that's kind of interesting. So why is mom stressed and depressed when she gets care from a child that she doesn't prefer? Well, she has to feel comfortable and secure with who's giving her the care. So she's already under stress and she has to have care you know, someone has to help her. And then she has to give up some control to another person. So who does she want to give up control to? Somebody who has the same outlook on life as she does. Somebody who she thinks is like her. Somebody who will respond in the way that she feels comfortable and reassured. So you know, in the preferred child, she'll say, well, you know, we talk, we can talk about anything. She understands me the best. In the non-preferred child, she might say, well, she gets annoyed at me. <laughs> or, yeah, she yells at me. She's helpful, but, or she's my rock right now because she's here, but, so, we might think about that. Funny, we as kids can predict about 80% of the time who's the favored child. But our predictions about which child mom favors in regard to closeness, confiding in, or who wants who the child is that she wants to take care of her, we're only right about half the time. So that's a question to ask mom. What I would suggest is ask mom if you can. You know, if mom doesn't have, of course, Alzheimer's or dementia, any any form of dementia. Ask her. I'd ask her when the other kids aren't around. Say, you know, and I'm going to do that. <laughs> Saying, you know, Mom, we all we have you have three kids, and we all can help you in different ways. But who would you like to care for you? I wonder if Mom will be honest. <laughs> It's interesting, and I'm going to do that and let you know next time I go up to see my mom. Now, of course, geography plays a part. So I'm wondering in my situation, because I'm the only one here, mom might be stuck with me, even though maybe she doesn't want me to be the one to take care of her. I'm not sure. Also, speaking of moms, there's a new study that suggests adults who felt they were mom's favorite child and adults who felt they had the most issues with mom were more likely to be depressed. So mom's favorite child may feel depressed as an adult. Why is that? Because maybe the favorite child feels more responsibility for mom as mom ages and needs more help. It's funny, I had to go out to one of my clients uh, the other day, and she has two sons living with her. And one of her sons um, is her preferred caregiver, and he does everything for her. And the other son kind of 
works part time and is there. And so I went there and her son, uh, who does everything for her was in the hospital. He got the flu and he was in the hospital. And so I was there and she has all these bills piled up, you know, and she herself has to go to the doctor. And I said to her, you know, Ruth, you got to go to the doctor, you know, let, let Mark take you to the doctor. Well, no, Jean does that for me. And I said, but Jean is in the hospital and you got to go to the doctor. I go, why are all these, you could see her, the mail is just stacked up, you know, and all these bills. She goes, I know, my bills aren't getting paid. Her home phone was disconnected because the bill isn't paid. And I go, well, let Mark pay the bills. Jean does that. You know, and I'm like, I know, but your phone. And then she goes, but dearie, are you being paid? <laughs> I worry, but Jean does that. And I'm like, don't worry about me, but your phone, you know, they're, they're, you know, you have an electric bill, you have a gas bill. So, but Jean does that, you know, and I'm saying, I know, but Jean is in the hospital. So these are, these, these things do really happen. And there is a preferred caregiver whether they do physical, you know, or financial, whatever, they take care of everything. Fortunately, Mark did the food shopping, so there is food in the house. So, now, my survival tip of the week. Hang out with friends, because research shows the fewer human connections that we have at work or at home or in the community, the more likely we are to get sick. And that's important. So hang out with friends. In this big flu season, we don't want to be sick because this is a bad flu season, big and bad flu season. If this week's show was helpful to you or you know someone who would be helped by it, please tell them about it. They can subscribe to the show using iTunes. You can find links to the topics we just talked about in the show notes for today's episode, episode 44 at parentsarehardtoraise.org. I'm here to help you, so please tell me if there's something you're struggling with. I'll do my best to um, include it in a future show. Email me at dianeparentsarehardtoraise.org. You can reach me through my website, dianeberardi.com. You can follow me on Facebook at Parents Are Hard to Raise Podcast, and I tweet at Jersey Elder Care. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music LLC, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. See you again next week. Mm-hmm.